Here's what's going on this week at ALCF. If you're looking to learn who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about, be sure to join us for What is Christianity? An informative session where you'll get your questions answered in a supportive and welcoming environment. If you're new to Abundant Life and want to learn about our story, visions, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. This event takes place on Sunday, April 28th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. If you're new to Abundant Life, we've got some great opportunities for you to get involved, engaged, and connected with the ALCF community. Check out alcf.net forward slash connect for more info or contact Jeff Gilman at jeff.gilman at alcf.net. The last Sunday of each month is Family Sunday. Safari Kids will be closed on those days, but your entire family is invited to join us in the sanctuary for our family-friendly worship celebration. Our next Family Sunday is April 28th. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world. We thank you, Lord God, that you reign, that we serve a risen Savior. And God, if you can handle a dead Jesus, there's nothing in our lives you can't take care of. You specialize in resurrecting dead things. Someone's marriage is on life support and you need to resurrect that today. Someone's career seems dead and we need you to speak new life. But most importantly, someone's here today, Lord God. And though they are alive physically, they are dead spiritually. And so would you resurrect someone's soul today in the name of Jesus? Use me, Father, to that end. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through me and that you would speak words of life. It is in Jesus' name I make myself available to you. Do it, Father, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. He has risen. He's risen indeed. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in John chapter 21. Excuse me, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Beginning in verse 24, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. How many of you have uh, struggled with worry over the last 12 months? Uh, how many of you have lied on Easter Sunday? <laughs> I, I, think, I think if we'd all tell the truth, we've all struggled with worry. Uh, I want to invite you back next Sunday, uh, beginning next Sunday, we're going to do a four-part series called Evicting Worry evicting worry. Um, I know you don't struggle with worry, but the person next to you does. So encourage them to come on back as we're going to begin a four-part series next Sunday called Evicting Worry. John chapter 20, pick me up in verse 24. The text reads, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, make note of this phrase, we have seen the Lord. I love Thomas. But he said to them, that's cool. Kind of how the Greek reads. 
unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, so it's the Sunday after Easter, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Make note of this phrase, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, verse 28, answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word of the Lord. I want to preach from the subject, doubting your way toward Jesus. I want to preach from the subject, doubting your way toward Jesus. It is a truism to life that whatever is real to us changes us. It it, it is a truism to life that whatever is real to us changes us. If poverty was your reality growing up, it's, it's marked the way you see the world. It's, it, it, it impacts maybe even the way you vote. It, 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 it impacts how you interpret things because what's real to you changes you. If affluence and privilege was your reality growing up, you may not realize it, but that has changed and shaped and colored the way you see things. Because what's real to you changes you. If, if you were a minority in a certain context and you felt the reality of that, that's marked you. Conversely, if you were a majority, you may not know this, but likewise, that reality has marked you. Because what's real to us changes us. If you've been through a divorce, and that was your sad reality, no, you're not a victim anymore, but that shaped you in some way. That's marked you. If you've been a recipient of betrayal, of abuse, no, we don't have to live a defeated life, but I guarantee you the fingerprints of that betrayal, of that abuse has marked you. Why? 
Because what's real to us shapes us. It changes us. Such was the case of a man by the name of Jeffrey Schmaltz, famous New York Times writer who is no longer with us, but at the height of the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and 90s, no one wrote with more compassion, with more insight, with more poignancy, with more detail than Jeffrey Schmaltz. He was a prolific, award-winning writer who, who wrote about the victims suffering with AIDS. And he was asked once, how can you write so poignantly? How can you write so specifically? How can you write so compassionately about people who suffer with AIDS? Jeffrey Schmaltz says, because I too have AIDS. What's real to you shapes you, marks you. This is not just a truism to life. It is also a spiritual reality. Our text, our story is all about experiencing Jesus. Here are the disciples, they're huddled together in a little room and they exclaim to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. I don't want to get too technical here, but our text is originally written in a language called Greek and Greek is a much more nuanced language than English. In fact, there are several words for seeing and the word used here when the disciples say, hey Thomas, we have seen the Lord. It's not just a, a physical, shallow, superficial seeing like I'm seeing you right now. No, this word for seeing, it it literally means to perceive. It means to look beneath the surface. Here it is. It it, it means to experience. The the disciples say, hey, Thomas, we, we want you to know that here is Jesus. And their world had been turned upside down for three years. They had followed him. And then just like that, he's crucified. And they flee him, flee from him, all but one of them, because they're worried for their own lives. And then three days later, he gets up from the grave and manifests themselves to him. And they say, we've seen, we've experienced him. Now watch it. That word seen, which means to experience, hang in there with me. I promise you I'm coming to your neighborhood, as my pastor says. It is in the perfect tense. The idea of the perfect tense, watch it now, it speaks of a past action with continuous results. It speaks of something that happened back then, but still lingers. Many of you all have heard the story of how I first met my wife. I was seated in church on a January day, 1998. It was an old school church where we sat on the stage and here us preachers are sitting on the stage and clearly in a sea of thousands, the camera girl had shown the light on this one fine woman, fine, fine, fine woman who had just gotten saved and I felt compelled to the Lord to be a part of her spiritual formation strategy. And here I am on stage, I saw her in a superficial way, but, but after service was over, I, I needed to do what the disciples did. I needed an experience, so I made my way over to her, and for a few moments, I saw her, I experienced her, and then we parted ways, and I wouldn't see her again until eight days later, but in between those, those eight days, I, 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 I couldn't get her off my mind perfect tense. 
I, I experienced her, but she still lingered. I wonder if I have any witnesses in the house who experienced Jesus, who Jesus crashed the party one day. And he stepped into your life. And ever since Jesus took up residence in your life and you really experienced him, you you can't get him off your mind. You can't get him out of your spirit. He, He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. So when the disciples say, hey, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. I see them all excited. And here is Thomas, party pooper that he is. He's like, so what? You want me to just take your word for it? I ain't just going to go off of what you say. That's cool. See, I I love Thomas. Thomas. I love him for two reasons. Number one, Thomas is just a regular guy. He hadn't written any books in the Bible. He's not profiled by Luke in the the book of Acts as some amazing celebrity pastor who's planted all these churches. We don't know much about Thomas is just a regular dude. If Thomas were to come here on Easter Sunday, he'd come in with jeans and a T-shirt and sit right in the middle of the crowd. There's nothing remarkable about Thomas. He's regular. But not only that, Thomas is complicated. In John chapter 11, for example, look at it with me. Uh, Here he is, Thomas. He's trying to uh, 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 pump courage into his disciples. Uh, And speaking of Jesus, Thomas says to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, speaking with Jesus. Here he is, the picture of courage. Here he is, the picture of confidence. And when we come to John 20, he's also, same guy, the picture of doubt. Courage, one moment. Confidence one moment, doubting the next. Isn't that all of us? I mean, let's just keep it real. There's times in which we say, Jesus, I'm sold out for you. And then the next moment we're doubting. We're wondering. If there was a Facebook status for Thomas, it would simply read, it's complicated. (laughs) And that's not just Thomas. That's you and your neighbor and me. See, that's why I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Because if you've hung around church for a while, you know Thomas's nickname. He's called Doubting Thomas. I got a a problem. I got a problem with this. Because, as my kids say, let's just keep it 100. We've all doubted. In fact, if I could give you three quick lessons about doubt, I would say this. Tell me something, disciples. You who say, we have seen the Lord. Why are you locking the doors then? <laughs> Do you see that in text? It says that the doors are locked. Wait a minute. He got up from the grave 
And scholars tell us the reason why they locked the doors is they're scared of the religious leaders who had just crucified Jesus, and they think if, if they could crucify Jesus, then they could crucify them. But wait a minute, you've just seen Jesus after the crucifixion, which means death didn't get the best of them, and if Jesus can handle death, he can handle those who are after you, so why are you locking the doors? Answer, because they ain't the only ones, because Thomas ain't the only one doubting. So can we just keep it 100? You doubt, your neighbor doubts, the last person in the last seat in the balcony doubts, and the preacher on the pulpit from time to time doubts. What is doubt? <laughs> doubt is that little strip of territory of real estate between reality and hope. Doubt is, is the space between reality and hope. Reality says, I ain't got a job. Hope says, I got an interview coming up and I'm going to kill it. Doubt says, you sure about that? Reality says, I, I just went to the doctor for my annual physical and, and I just got a phone call saying, something looks off with my blood work. Hope says, it ain't nothing. Doubt whispers, what if it's cancer? Ever been there? Sure you have. That's why you Google before you go see the doctor. <laughs> you done diagnosed yourself with brain cancer because WebMD told you. <laughs> Reality says my marriage is on life support. Hope says he'll get it together, she'll get it together. Doubt says, now what you gonna do if you have to get divorced? Reality says, I, I, I really need God to come through because I'm in a bad place. Hope says, God will pull through for you. Doubt says, what if he ain't real? Ever been there before? All of us have been there. We all deal with voices of doubt. The only difference between Thomas and the disciples is he keeps it 100. There's a little piece of Thomas that lives in all of us. I want to show you a picture. Go ahead and put that image up. See what's in Dr. King's hand? kids, don't do this. In fact, Dr. King, if you know anything about him, he was a chain smoker. He didn't like people taking pictures of him with cigarettes in his hand. Why was Dr. King smoking? Same reason you would probably smoke. You get enough death threats. 
the anxiety, the worry. In fact, if you know anything about Dr. King, you know that sometimes he couldn't sleep at night. And when Dr. King had voices of doubt, historians tell us he would slip out of bed, would pick up his phone, and would call the queen of gospel music, Mahalia Jackson, and would ask Mahalia to sing his favorite song, a Thomas Dorsey classic called Precious Lord, Take My Hand. We all struggle with doubt. Doubt is universal, but the second thing our text teaches us about doubt is doubt is not immoral. To doubt is not sinful. Here is Jesus, and when Jesus crashes the party, walks into the room, not one time does he scold Thomas for doubting. He scolds him for his lack of faith, but not for his doubts. Never confuse the two. In fact, this is the third lesson we learn about doubting, and that is doubt is actually essential. Why? Because you cannot have faith without doubt. Faith is not predicated on certainty. If it was certainty, it would not be faith. Faith needs uncertainty, synonym for uncertainty, doubt in order to exist. That is why Jesus never goes off on Thomas for his doubt. He goes off on him for his unbelief. Doubt is only sinful when it blocks you from faith. See, reality says, I got cancer. Hope says God's going to heal me. Doubt says, what if he doesn't? Faith says, I'm going to keep on praying. Reality says my child is out in the far country making horrible decisions with their life. Hope says God is going to bring them back. Doubt wonders what if he doesn't. Faith says I'm going to keep on trusting and loving and praying. And reality says I can't see you, God. I can't feel you. I need you. Hope says he exists. Doubt says, what if he does it? Faith says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must first believe that he exists. I'm going to walk by faith. And you're here today, and you have doubts with no faith when it comes to God. God says, I've brought you here for a reason. I brought you here because I need you to know I can deal with your doubt. And I want to turn your doubt into faith. But as we head third and head for home, how do we turn doubt into faith? I love it. The disciples say to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. It goes back to Easter Sunday. 
Now, eight days later, which is the following Sunday, they're, they're huddled together. They're saying, we have seen the Lord. Thomas says, that's cool. But unless I see him. Now, this is a different word for see. It is a superficial, shallow word for see. It's a literal seeing. Thomas says, that's cool. Unless I literally see him, and not only that, unless I touch him, unless I place my, my hands in his hands, and unless I touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe. Thomas says, these are my conditions. Here they are huddled in a room, and the room is locked, and Jesus crashes the party. He just shows up. And here is Thomas, as soon as, don't miss the subtlety of this text. He says, my Lord and my God, watch it now, just off of sight and not off of touch. We know this because Jesus says, so you believe me because you've seen me, not because you've touched me. How do I turn doubt into faith? You're not going to like this. But you need to do what Thomas did. Drop your conditions. Thomas said, I need to see and to touch. I need to see and to touch. I need to see and to touch. Jesus shows up. All he does is sees. No touching. And that was enough for him. You're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. First of all, I'm thankful that you came. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I'll never forget when I was a college student up in Philly, my, my Aunt Mary, my favorite aunt in the world, my, she's actually my grandmother's sister, my favorite aunt in the world. I, 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 used, to, I used to go to her house uh, the day before Easter every year in which I was in college up there. And I used to beg Aunt Mary to come with me, come with me on, on Saturday. I'd beg, beg with her because Friday she had just gotten drunk. Saturday, I used to say, Aunt Mary, Aunt Mary, she was drinking her medicine, she called it. I, I said, Aunt Mary, come to me to church. Uh, she says, why? She, I, I said, it's Easter Sunday. She says, oh, that's, that's more of a reason not to go. She says, if I don't do the Sunday before or the Sunday after, I for sure ain't doing the Sunday of Easter. That, that, that's just straight up hypocrisy to me. I'm going to keep it real. I'm not going to nobody's church on Easter Sunday. And the fourth year, finally, I talked her into it and she got saved. So I thank you for being here. And what God did for Aunt Mary and he wants to do to you, but here's the problem. You're more like Thomas than what you want to admit. Because not only do you doubt, you have conditions. Jesus, I'll believe you if you heal my loved one of that disease. Jesus, I'll believe you if you get me that job. Jesus, I'll believe you if you do justice to that person who wronged me. Jesus, I'll believe you, your condition says, if you step into my situation and fix my circumstances. On and on and on we can go. Jesus, I'll believe you if you do blank. Now, here's the problem with that. 
The problem with that is when you have the equation of Jesus, I'll believe you if you'll do that, then Jesus does not become your God. Your that becomes your God and you reduce Jesus to your genie in a bottle that exists to facilitate your God. And the problem is, if you start the relationship off with that, then in order to maintain it, you got to continue to do that so that Jesus now becomes your cosmic vending machine. Insert requests, get goodies. And when Jesus no longer gives you the goodies, you'll stop following. I know it's a hard word, but Jesus is not your administrative assistant. He wants to be your CEO. Now, why should I drop my conditions? Thomas says, unless I see him, shallow, superficial feelings, unless he deals with my felt needs. In other words, you may be saying, unless he pays my bills, unless he fixes my relationship, unless he gets me into the college of my choice, unless he deals with this situation, these are felt needs. But you need to understand, Jesus doesn't just want to pay your bills. He wants your heart. I'll never forget some years ago when my kids were young, gone off on a trip and they, they were little, little somethings. And they said, daddy, 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 can you bring me back some? They always ask the same. 90% of the time I never did. But, but this one time I, I did, I went all out. Bought them these wonderful toys, came back home. They ran to meet me at the door, not because they were happy to see me, but daddy, what'd you bring me? God bless these little tax write-offs. We sat down in the living room, I opened up the suitcase, there were the toys, they dove right in, took them and left the room. And I gotta confess, I'm not the most sentimental person in the world, but my feelings were hurt. Because at that moment, the gifts became greater than the giver. When you have conditions, then those conditions will always be greater than the giver. Jesus says, I love you. And I love you so much that I continue to bear the marks of my love for you by dying on a cross. In fact, that word excruciating comes from the Latin excruciatas, ex out of cruciatas cross. When they were looking for a word that would be the emblem of suffering and shame, they went to the cross. Here he is first, he's beaten by a cat of nine tails for you and for me. Pieces of glass and bone and metal attached to a whip took out huge chunks of his flesh. They then put this cross on him and he was so weary in his humanity, he could not even carry it, so they had to give it to someone else. 
to centurions nailed long nails or rivets in between the bones of his wrists, causing the nerves to strike and to bring his fingers like this. Long rivets were nailed into his feet, hoisted on a cross, dropped into a post. All of his joints became dislocated. His lungs filled up with mucus. He died of asphyxiation. He'd have to push up to get air. And why did he do it? He had you on his mind. It wasn't centurions who nailed him to a cross. It was my sin that nailed him to a cross. It was your sin that nailed him to a cross. And no, I I know sin's not a popular word. I'm not talking about your dysfunction or, 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 or bad proclivities that you have. I'm talking about our rebellion against God. And God loved us so much, he stretched out his hands to die for us, and he still bears those wounds. So if I came to you and I saw you in a restaurant and you got the bill and your server said it's already taken care of and they pointed to me who was at another table, what would you say to me? You'd probably say, thanks, appreciate it. Or if I came to you and you had racked up a credit card bill of $30,000 and I said, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll pay for it. You'd probably thank me profusely and offer to babysit my three teenage boys, which I'd take you up on. But if I paid off your Bay Area mortgage, now that should have caused somebody to shout right then. How would you respond? Pass whatever you need me to do. I'm yours. Don't you understand you were settled, you were destined for an eternity in hell. You had racked up a debt you could never pay. No knocking on doors early Saturday morning could ever get you into the 144,000. But Jesus looked at your life and saw every sin you had ever committed, are committing, and will ever commit. And with the blood of Jesus Christ, he wrote on that cross, paid in full. And not only that, he got up early Sunday morning and gave you all the power you need to be the kind of person you could ever be. I'm not here to blame other religions, but he says, free of charge, by my grace, it's yours. I know you have doubts, but Jesus can handle your doubts. The question is, will you come to him by faith? I love it. What does Thomas do when he sees our passage ends? It says he simply responds, my my Lord and my God, not just my Savior. This is interesting. And here I'm turning my attention now to church folk. How do you walk with Jesus for three years and not believe? The same way a lot of church folk come to church thinking they're saved, 
being in the same environment as Jesus, but have not believed. Scholars are debating, did Thomas get saved? It is quite possible this is his salvation moment. I'm calling to some people, you come to church, you serve in ministry, you are in the same environment as Jesus, but you only know him as Savior, not as Lord, and Jesus wants you to know if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Your church membership don't get you into heaven. It is simply believing for yourself. So maybe, whether you're here for the first time or you come to ALCF every Sunday, maybe you need to get saved. What happens to Thomas? They leave this upper room, and according to church history, Thomas takes the gospel to India, preaches boldly in India, and dies a martyr's death in India. His act of faith changed his whole life. How do I know I really believe in Jesus? It changes your life. If all Jesus is is something you do on Sundays and it hasn't changed your life, check your salvation. Because if Jesus has moved in, changes you. It changes you. I used to love going to the circus when I was a kid. My favorite thing at the circus was seeing the trapeze artists. Remember them? I would be in awe watching them leap and fly through the air. I heard recently, I was listening to a trapeze artist talking about their craft, and he says, in my business, there's only kind, two kinds of trapeze artists. There's leapers and there's catchers. He says leapers, well, they leap. And catchers, their job is simply to catch. He says the worst thing a leaper could ever try to do is to help the catcher catch them. Their job is to simply leap. And do you think there's doubt? (laughs) But faith trumps doubt. And they leap. And he says the key is a posture of vulnerability. A posture where they are out completely trusting in the midst of their doubt, I'll get caught. In just a few moments... God's going to call you to leap. In the midst of doubt, in the midst of questions, and you need to know your job is to leap. God's job is to catch. And he ain't never dropped anybody in his life. But the trapeze artist said something that messed me up. He said, when you first start to train as a trapeze artist, your timing is off. And if your timing is off, 
you're gonna fall. So when they first train you, the head of the company is stationed on the ground. And when you hear the head of the company's voice simply yelling, leap, that's when you jump. And on that signal, you're ready to get caught. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. I believe Jesus has been speaking today. And he's talking to someone. Leap! I, I know you've got questions, but, but leap! Don't let doubt paralyze you. By faith, leap. I want to pray. If you're comfortable, would you just bow your heads with me? Right now, I just want to invite the prayer team to come forward. I want to invite our elders to come forward. I want to invite those on staff to come forward. I promise you, you're here today, and maybe church is not your thing, but you're here because grandmama asked, or mama asked, or coworker asked. I don't care how you got here, but I believe in the sovereignty of God. He ordained that you would be here on this day, April 21st, 2019, with doubts and everything, to hear him say, leap, I got you. I know you've got questions, but I got you. I sent my son to die for you. I love you. I got you. And I want to change your life. Someone's here today, and maybe like Thomas, you've been hanging around Jesus for a while. You've been coming to church. You've been serving. And maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm not sure if you're saved. That Holy Spirit right now is causing you to to leap, Jesus wants to catch you. We're going to multitask right now. I'm going to pray in just a few moments. I believe you're going to come. You're going to come forward, and you're going to talk to one of our prayer team members. They want to explain to you the way of salvation. At the same time, we're going to celebrate communion. So some of you will come forward to one of our prayer team counselors and they're going to show you the way of salvation. Others of you who are confident that Christ is your Lord and Savior, we want to invite you at the same time to come to one of our tables down front or in the back. If you're up in the balcony, there's tables up there as well. Or if you're here and for whatever reason you are not physically able to get to one of the tables, would you just raise your hand in the air and someone will serve you? We want to encourage you right now. I'm going to pray. God's going to call you to leap. You're going to come forward. Others of you who've already taken that leap of faith, you're going to come to communion, take the elements, and take them back with you to your seat until we can all partake together. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that we serve a God big enough who's not put off by our doubts. We serve a God who can handle our questions. Thank you for that. 
But God, I pray that doubt will never block belief. That in the midst of questions, someone would leap today and know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whether or not they're a church person or first time in a long time being in church, God, would you save someone's soul today? Would you graft them into your family? And Father, we turn our attention too to communion. We pray in the name of Jesus that this would be a sacred moment where we thank you. Thank you for loving us enough for taking our place on the cross and dying for our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you today. We bless you for your faithfulness. For great is your faithfulness. The Bible says that when we are faithless, you are faithful. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for another shot and another shot. Thank you for dealing with our doubts. And we leave, Lord God, people full of faith. And we bless you as we sing our way out of your great faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name we say these things. Amen. Here's what's going on this week at ALCF. If you're looking to learn who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about, be sure to join us for What is Christianity? An informative session where you'll get your questions answered in a supportive and welcoming environment. If you're new to Abundant Life and want to learn about our story, visions, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. This event takes place on Sunday, April 28th from 12 to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. If you're new to Abundant Life, we've got some great opportunities for you to get involved, engaged, and connected with the ALCF community. Check out alcf.net forward slash connect for more info or contact Jeff Gilman at jeff.gilman at alcf.net. The last Sunday of each month is Family Sunday. Safari Kids will be closed on those days, but your entire family is invited to join us in the sanctuary for our family-friendly worship celebration. Our next Family Sunday is April 28th. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember... Abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world.